you know, so, so it's really well known that Alberta's got phenomenal fossil resources. What's not as well known and is becoming known is we also have world-class renewable energy resources. Mm -hmm. Our onshore wind resources are amongst the best in North America. Our solar resource uh, in Alberta is uh, the best in Canada. is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. This is episode 049, number 49 of the Flux Capacitor. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face, but back to using Zoom. This is the 10th podcast in a series shining a light on climate change, net zero greenhouse gas commitments, and what the implications may be of those net zero commitments. Over this podcast series, I'm trying to unpack these GHG emissions reduction targets and net zero commitments to understand what they mean for the governments that make these commitments, the potential impacts on the companies that produce and deliver electricity, and how it will change energy use and what it means for customers. Over the series, the conversation has been evolving and continues to evolve, particularly with respect to carbon reduction targets. While the overall net zero 2050 economy-wide target remains, the 2030 target has moved from a 30% reduction to a 36% reduction to a 40-45% to reduction. In the recent Canadian federal election, the re-elected Liberal Party platform included a commitment to a 100% net zero emitting electricity system by 2035. For this 10th podcast in the series, I'm once again focusing on solutions to the GHG reduction challenge, and I'm joined by Dan Balaban of Greengate, an Alberta-based company at the center of the energy transformation. Greengate has been developing renewable energy projects at scale and boasts the largest wind and soon the largest solar project in Canada. In our discussion, we talk about some of Greengate's signature projects, electrification and decarbonization, and the pivotal role energy storage will play. Dan also gives us his take on policy changes that will be required to hit our targets. And we close the conversation with some book banter and Dan's recommendation to add to the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Here is my conversation with Dan, recorded in early December 2021. So, Dan, uh, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. It's good to catch up. Yeah, Francis, yeah, thank you for uh, having me. I think maybe a really good starting point for uh, for the listener would be Greengate and the company, and maybe a little bit to, about the company itself. Yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, Greengate Power is a company that I co-founded with my brother Jordan uh, almost 15 years ago. Uh, And what we set out to do at the time was prove that uh, large-scale renewable energy development uh, could work in Canada, uh, could work in our home province of Alberta. And uh, I think we've been uh, fortunate that I think we certainly have proven that. We've uh, been behind uh, some of the largest renewable energy uh, developments in the country. Um, uh, First was the largest wind energy project in the country. And uh, most recently, we um, are under construction with uh, by far and away the largest solar energy project 
in the country, a project called Traverse Solar. You know, all in all, it's uh, over a gigawatt of renewable energy projects that uh, we've developed that are either operating or in construction and you know, uh, representing almost uh, $2 billion of investment that we've generated in this space. So what was your what was your journey to this? Was this something that you always wanted to do? Was this your you know your your passion as a kid? Were you always fiddling with uh, little windmills and 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 <laughs> and, and lighting fires with uh, with magnifying glasses and stuff? Um, in fact, I was a nerd. Ah, okay. <laughs> Growing up, uh, no. So uh, so my uh, my late father was uh, was an oil and gas uh, entrepreneur, successful oil and gas entrepreneur. So, uh, you know, I grew up here in Calgary uh, in the oil and gas business, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I also, uh, you know, growing up in the footsteps of the Rocky Mountains, spent a lot of time uh, in nature and just, you know, grew a, a real love of, uh, of the environment and um, trying to align uh, development with, uh, with environmental objectives. It's something that I, uh, you know, was interested in uh, from, from childhood probably because of, uh, you know, the influence of my father. Hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, I won the uh, City Science Fair Award for solar energy when I was in junior high. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, little... so this, so this <laughs> so does this actually like go a, back. Okay. This really does go back. But anyways, not enough about my childhood credentials. Um, but, um, you know, it's something that I've been, uh, been interested in for, uh, for a really long time. Uh, professionally, I started my career in uh, technology. I have a degree in computer science from the University of Toronto and uh, got involved in uh, using uh, what at the time was a new technology called the internet uh, mm-hmm. to help uh, companies improve their businesses. So I've always been uh, interested in uh, being in on the disruptive end of things rather than, uh, you know, being interested in the status quo, always interested in how we can make, you know, how we can make things better and improve that. Uh, started a company called Roughneck. Uh, was my first entrepreneurial venture. It was an oil and gas software company that, amongst other things, uh, helped oil and gas companies uh, manage and report their greenhouse gas emissions on okay. an annual basis. Okay. Uh, had a successful exit from that company and uh, was looking for a new company to start. And I knew the next thing I wanted to do was something that was an exciting business opportunity, uh, but also something that could leave a positive uh, environmental uh, legacy, and that was really the genesis for for starting Greengate. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so uh, that was you said it's been it's been fifteen years now since you launched uh, launched Greengate. So <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, yeah, almost fifteen years. Yeah, so a thousand megawatts. That's that's not small potatoes. Uh, that's that's you know starting to get into get into uh, in, into the big leagues. Tell us about some of the big projects that you're working on now. Yeah, so. Um, you know, so at the moment uh, we're uh, we're under construction with uh, the largest solar energy project in the country by far. You know, one of the largest in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, project called Traverse Solar. Uh, we're um, we developed that project. Uh, it's being funded by Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners, one of the uh, world's largest uh, renewable energy focused uh, funds, mm-hmm. uh, making their first investment in Canada. Uh, so that you know that's really exciting. But the, you know the scale of the project uh, is immense. It's uh, spread out over more than 3,000 acres of land. It's going to consist of 1.3 million solar panels, okay. and uh, you know produce enough energy to supply uh, power uh, enough power for 150,000 homes. So that you know this is a 
this is not an experiment we're talking about. This is a project that is uh, of the scale of any, you know, mega uh, energy development that's happened in this country. It happens to be in the renewable energy space. Right. And I think uh, proving that uh, renewable energy projects of scale, uh, you know, can work in this in this country and actually be, uh, you know, real driver of uh, of economic growth. Sorry, one other thing I'd, I'd mention is, um, which is also really interesting, is Amazon is buying the majority of the power uh, right. being produced uh, by that project. So, you know, a whole bunch of uh, things uh, that are pioneering about this project. And I think really exciting uh, for uh, for our future. And, and I guess the thing that, that surprised me um, was such a, a massive project is not being built in the middle of a desert somewhere. It's not being built uh, close to the equator. It's not being built on the planet Vulcan, but in Vulcan County, Alberta. Why would you build something, a, a solar plant in Alberta, as opposed to somewhere that would be, I don't know, warmer, um, that would be closer to the equator? Is the sun regime really that good in southern Alberta? Um, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, okay. You know, so, so it's really well known that uh, Alberta's got, you know, phenomenal fossil resources. What, uh, what's not as well known and is becoming known is we also have world-class renewable energy resources, our our onshore wind resources are amongst the best in North America. Right. Uh, our solar resource uh, in Alberta is uh, the best in Canada. And just to give you an idea of how it compares, uh, the solar resource in Alberta is as good as the solar resource in Florida for the purposes mm. of producing electricity. Okay. And, uh, and that's because we've got really long days uh, yep. during the summertime. Yep. Uh, solar photovoltaic technology operates more efficiently under relatively cool temperatures. Huh. Uh, so um, yeah, we've got, we've actually got a you know, phenomenal solar resource uh, here in Alberta. Right. Right. And so uh, you, you get, kind of gave a sense of the scope and scale of that particular project, but what happens, uh, of course, that's the obvious question on the days when the sun doesn't shine um, uh, in the, the shorter days in the, in the winter, um, what, what is the future looking like in terms of uh, being able to, to uh, I guess, follow or, or back up solar uh, when it, given its intermittency? Yeah, no, I, you know, and that's a very good question. And, it, and it's one that we're having to grapple with now in real time, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's no longer a matter of if we're moving towards improved environmental performance, yep. it, you know, it's certain, you know, Canada's made a commitment to, uh, achieve net zero by 2050. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, our federal government has set the objective of a net zero electricity grid by 2035. 2035. Yep. Uh, and that is a, you know, that's a hugely ambitious uh, target, but I believe it's, it's achievable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at, uh, you know, the energy system, um, it's going through a transition. We're moving from, uh, you know, fossil fuels being our primary source of energy to clean electrons. Mm-hmm. being our primary source of energy. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, two themes going on, which is the electrification of everything yep. and decarbonization. Right. Uh, and um, in order to meet our uh, decarbonization objectives through electrification, that electricity needs to come from emissions-free sources mm-hmm. in order for all those environmental economics to make sense. So where we're at today is at a really interesting time is, uh, you know, renewables today are clearly the lowest cost 
source of new power generation that we have available, right. uh, but they're limited by their intermittency. Mm -hmm. uh, fossil fuels uh, are dispatchable, but are limited by their massive carbon emissions. Yep. And uh, in a in a uh, in a world where we're going to net zero, you know, those two things aren't compatible. Mm -hmm. The real missing piece, uh, which is something that I'm very excited about, is the role of energy storage in uh, the future mm -hmm. electricity system. And uh, yeah, sure, today we can't run 100% of our grid off renewables in the current state uh, that they're in. Uh, but I believe we are just on the verge of uh, cracking the nut on energy storage. And I think uh, in order for us to achieve our, you know, our net zero by 2035 objectives, uh, we need to really come up with the policy framework and right commercial drivers uh, that enable us to uh, you know, unlock that, uh, that opportunity, just like we've been able to unlock the renewable energy opportunity in recent years. Yeah, so it, it's uh, certainly easier in, in some jurisdictions than others to to, to move to that, that net zero uh, grid twenty thirty five. If you're you know in Quebec or or, or uh, Manitoba or British Columbia, where they've got massive uh, hydro resources, so the, the large renewable resources. But yeah, you're based in in Alberta, so. What is and I know some of the technology is still developing now, but what's your best guess? Uh, what are the those um, storage technologies that are going to deliver uh, that um, that that uh, uh, fix to the intermittency problem um, of solar and wind? Is it is it batteries? Is it is it new battery technology, or or is there something else that you as an investor have your eye on on the horizon? Uh, what do you think the future is going to going to going to be? Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, you know, for sure, batteries are going to have a role. So, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, the story of renewables, it's a story of cost reduction. So yeah. first it was wind, sure. you know, cost, cost down dramatically, you know, 90% in the last or last decade, then solar also down 90% in the last decade. Yeah. But batteries are not too far behind. Batteries right. prices are also down, you know, more than 90% in the, in the last decade. And, uh, you know, it's driven by, uh, the electrification of transportation and the mm -hmm. scale up of manufacturing associated with all the batteries that are needed for the EVs. Uh, you know, the benefit of that is now we have a bunch of cheap batteries that we can put in massive battery banks for, yep. for energy storage. So I think that's definitely going to have a role uh, because, it, because of its cost competitiveness. But, you know, batteries alone uh, won't solve uh, the problem. Uh, they are at the moment relatively limited in duration. Mm -hmm. still can have a meaningful impact on the grid, but it's really, uh, you know, the long duration uh, technologies. Uh, there's, you know, there's a bunch of them out there. There's, you know, flow batteries, there's mechanical yep. systems, um, you know, thermal systems, you know, mm -hmm. all sorts of these technologies. We're keeping, uh, you know, our, our eye uh, out there on the various technologies uh, and, you uh, you know, hope, hopefully uh, we'll have an opportunity to be pioneers in that regard, uh, just like we have been in, you know, large scale uh, solar, large scale wind. Yeah. Uh, we would like to, we would aim to hopefully be pioneers in large scale, uh, long duration energy storage as well. Yeah, because because I mean, if you you know if you if you look at what what the world twenty fifty is going to need in some of those jurisdictions in this country, where they don't you know we talk about jurisdictions that have large hydro resources, those that don't are going to need uh, those those long term storage. 
um, uh, uh, solution. So there's a there's going to be a massive market for that. But what about let, let's talk a little bit about the current market. Um, you know, where do you see the big opportunities right now for? Well, let's start start with wind. Um, where you know where in this country are you kind of looking and saying that's where we're going to see significant growth in the in the next decade, decade and a half? Well, um, you know, uh, Canria just put out its uh, vision for uh, net zero by 2050 and yep. uh, and talked about, you know, the level of build out we need to see of renewables to get there. And it's it's an astronomical amount, uh, you know, in the order of, uh, you know, about 5000 megawatts a year. Uh, you know, they've come up with a split between wind and solar, but you know, that's yep. still to be determined. But it's yep. a massive amount of uh, new renewable energy development that needs to be built out everywhere mm-hmm. because it's, it's we're not just uh, we're not just um, replacing existing infrastructure right replacing existing infrastructure but also ramping up for the electrification of everything the yep. transportation buildings industry mm-hmm. um, so um, you know the the short answer is there's opportunity everywhere yeah. I, I believe over the medium to long term in this country uh, but um, you know the the market that is most uh, uh, seeing the most uh, excitement, most interest right now is the Alberta market. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason the Alberta market is seeing uh, all this interest is it's the only deregulated uh, power generation market in Canada, mm-hmm. meaning that, uh, you know, if you're a developer and you can get your permits connected to the grid and raise your capital, uh, then then you, you can build a project. We're not gated by, uh, you know, Crown Corporation or, you know, uh, you know provincial utility. Uh, so that creates... Uh, an interesting opportunity. And then, then you've got the dynamics in Alberta, which is uh, we're uh, historically very heavily dependent on coal, right. um, which is all going to be phased out in this province by 2023. That creates uh, massive new demand for uh, renewables. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, um, we also have very strong uh, carbon pricing regime. We have uh, you know very strong uh, carbon pricing on our industrial sector, the environmental attributes, the RECs, generated by renewables in Alberta have very meaningful value. And um, I guess the last thing is um, because of all because of all those dynamics and, and our deregulated market, it's the only place in Canada where bilateral contracting is possible between um, generators and buyers of power. Okay. Uh, so for example, like the deal we did with Amazon on right. our Travers project, okay. Alberta is the only place where the, you know, those sorts of deals are possible. So Creates a lot of interest. And, okay, and, and so uh, what's the what's the constraint in other jurisdictions? It has to, it has to go through the a, a provincial balancing authority, or it has to go through a crown corporation, or what would yeah, happen? Another? Why is it? Why is it? I'm just you know trying to understand um, what the uh, you know what the fix would, would be required elsewhere if you wanted to to enter into those kinds of uh, those kinds of arrangements. Well, I think, uh, you know, utilities need to be, uh, uh, you know, more uh, flexible and adaptable to changing circumstances and, and move quickly. But I mean, um, you know, certainly utilities, if they're motivated, could uh, enable that sort of thing, even in, you know, regulated markets. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, deregula- I mean, I'm a big fan of deregulation. Deregulation basically uh, limits the role of government in the middle of this whole thing and lets, you know, lets private business find the best path forward. And uh, so I think that's very exciting uh, for Alberta. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, one of the things that, that you know, we've all been uh, hearing uh, a lot about and reading a lot about is the possibility of, of hydrogen in the future. You're in the green game. Do you see green uh, hydrogen as as part of the part of that future? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, we, you know, we're uh, our primary uh, goal is to achieve net zero. Right. Yeah. So we're trying to decarbonize our energy system so that we can avoid, uh, you know, the potential catastrophic impacts of climate change. And that seems to be a you know, consensus now mm-hmm. uh, around the world. Uh, electrification seems to be the most obvious way and easiest way for us to decarbonize most of uh, the energy system. Yeah. But there are still hard to reach places where um, electrification in and of itself won't achieve decarbonization. Uh, so hydrogen is uh, one of those mediums. <laughs> and uh, when that hydrogen is uh, generated from renewable electricity through electrolysis, uh, that is truly uh, decarbonized. Uh, I, and that's green hydrogen. Yes. Right. I would contrast that with blue hydrogen. And I know there's talks about uh, blue hydrogen as well. Uh, personally, I don't think blue hydrogen is our solution. I think green is our solution to meeting our net zero objectives. Uh, and so, then the distinction, uh, just for the for the listener, the distinction being the green hydrogen is hydrogen produced uh, with renewable uh, renewable sources, like uh, um, for example electrolysis, whereas blue hydrogen is from natural gas. Correct? Yeah, blue hydrogen is usually uh, is is produced from uh, fossil fuel resources gotcha. with uh, with sequestration uh, of the carbon. Gotcha. Uh, okay. In the ground. Just want to clarify that for the listener. So, as we yeah. as we as we continue to talk about this, the distinction between blue and green. So, green green in the future, and that would be for a hard to abate sectors. It is, and you, you know, we you talked a little bit about uh, the the cost curve that has come down so 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 massively for wind and for solar, and hopefully soon for batteries. Same thing for green hydrogen. We're hoping because right now it's. It, I mean, that's it's the only issue there is not the technology; it's the cost. Right, absolutely, and it's been an issue of cost for, you know, for quite some time. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of solar and battery combination, uh, and and uh, the reason why is uh, it's it's an analog versus digital analogy. So okay. if you think about uh, if you think about every traditional source of power generation that we've we've ever had, uh, you know coal, uh, natural gas, uh, hydro, uh, even wind, you know, they're all machines that are turned by, you know, some kind of mechanical process to create electricity. But um, uh, solar and batteries is a completely different paradigm. It's a digital paradigm, Mm. right? You know, uh, solar PV follows a trend uh, much more similar to computers, right? You know, in 1969, we sent humans to the moon with a computer that would have required an entire office building to house it. Yep. And now we each hold the computer more powerful than that in the palm of our hands. By a factor it, of yeah, thousands, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's the same sort of dynamic, I think, possible in solar. It's a digital analogy. Uh, same sort of dynamic that's possible in uh, in batteries. The same sort of real-time uh, response that th- that sort of system can provide. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, you know, that's a tough one to beat. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I am confident that hyd- hydrogen costs will continue to come down. But, uh, you know, there's a debate about, you know, is are we going to a future uh, that's going to be uh, electrified or 
uh, run on you know green hydrogen. I, mm. there, that debate is out there. In my view, it's primarily electrification with hydrogen filling in the gaps. Green right. hydrogen. Yeah. Gaps. Yeah. For those, for those, as as as, as uh, I said, those hard to abate. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Uh, solutions and, and and sectors and things like air transportation. So yeah, you, you, yeah. You'd said one of the challenges here. You said one of one of the challenges with respect to getting more new renewables into the system were, were not technological and no longer financial, but but policy. And so what are the kind of policy solutions that we need to be thinking about in the future to enable more renewables and enable more storage, which, you know, we keep coming back to that. So clearly, um, you know, storage batteries, those are those are going to be key. What are the policy solutions that that we need to enable this to happen? Uh, well, I think a, a federal clean electricity standard yeah. uh, that, uh, you know, that mandates uh, a net zero grid by uh, 2035 uh, and then, uh, you know, le- leave it up to the individual provinces to figure out uh, how to operationalize that uh, given, you know, the unique, um, you know, conditions in each province, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, uh, you know, as you know, Francis, but uh, for the benefit of listeners uh, in uh in the, in the case of power, you know, every single province has its own uh, rules and regulations and market structure and yep. various stakeholders. So it's almost, you know, developing uh, electricity in Canada is not a monolithic thing. Every province is like you're dealing yep. with a, you know, sure. its own jurisdiction. So, uh, so it's important that the unique uh, aspects of each of those uh, jurisdictions is, uh, is uh, accommodated, but a clean electricity standard, mm-hmm. I think is key. I think, um, in the uh, non uh, in the non uh, or in the regulated markets, uh, facilitating more bilateral contracting between directly between customers and uh, and generators. Yeah, you mentioned that, that is, before. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, that's an important policy, and uh, and policies that encourage energy storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, energy storage is this new asset class that is uh, neither a generator nor a load. It's uh, it's a hybrid of both, uh, yeah. and we know how to deal with loads. We know how to deal with generators, uh, but we're still figuring out how to deal with this new, potentially very important asset uh, being storage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, uh, incentives from the government to uh, to make the early adoption of these technologies to prove them out. I think uh, incentives for that is really important, uh, but also the uh, you know the policies within. Each market that allows these uh, this new type of asset to generate uh, the revenues that it needs to to uh, justify its uh, you know its uh, its financing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> is it load or is it generation? Well, it, it, it's both, but never at the same time. It's it's either one or the other. Um, yeah, and 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 sometimes and sometimes uh, you know load is uh, is very having a load in an area is very beneficial to suck up, uh, you know, excess capacity yeah. you know, to remove constraints and, and, and reduce curtailment. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, from, uh, you know, there's a, you know, energy ARB uh, opportunities where you charge when the price is low and discharge when the price is high, yeah. that's possible in a deregulated market like, uh, like Alberta. But, um, you know, there's uh, a uh, standard generation project you're earning your revenue by selling electrons. Mm-hmm. And in the case of uh, renewables, selling clean electrons. So an electron plus an environmental benefit. Uh, in the case of energy storage, I think it's a, uh, 
it's a uh, range of different revenue sources that need to be stacked up right. uh, to make them work. And uh, they're not all yet possible uh, in the markets uh, that need them. So we have some work to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what's, what's your view in terms of what uh, we should be doing about, about uh, uh, natural gas generation? You know, we, you'd mentioned that the, like the coal is being phased out. Uh, now actively in Alberta, but uh, you know, by and large, these are these are conversions that are taking place at least in in the short to medium term. Um, what's your, what's your view in terms of uh, well, I mean, twenty thirty five is we know when the federal government would like to see the transition happen. But how quickly does that transition have to take place? And and hey, and what do we do about those stranded assets? Yeah, I mean that's a that is you know that is a tough question. Uh, you know, so we have, a, you know, we have a lot of legacy, uh, you know, natural gas, um, uh, you know, where investments were made, uh, you know, a long time ago. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, we have precedent for how we dealt with that with coal, uh, right. you know, and, and way where we, where we came to an orderly uh, shutdown of, of coal. So, you know, that's conceivable with gas. But what actually was a real head shaker for me is uh, new investments that are being <laughs> made in uh, and natural gas facilities. I think uh, I think those investments were pretty risky. And uh, you know, how do you justify um, you know compensation for you know facilities that where you can, where the writing was on the wall when the investment was made? No, thir- I'll, thirteen I'll, years I'll, from now, yeah, yeah, thirteen yeah, years out, yeah, yeah, exactly. But so I so I think it you know calls into question uh, certainly new natural gas builds. I right. think that's going to be. Uh, be uh, you know quite challenging. Um, I think um, you know carbon capture uh, is potentially uh, you know the silver bullet uh, to extend the life of natural gas fire generation. But carbon capture is a technology that has been out there for a long time, and you compare that with renewables, whose costs are down ninety percent. Yeah, uh, there's not been a material reduction in carbon capture costs mm-hmm. uh, over that that period of time. So I think, uh, again, coming back to it, I think it's uh, really cracking the nut around long duration energy storage. Yep. That's important uh, because we're in a really uncertain time for future natural gas investment. Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the other uh, people that's been on the podcast in the past uh, made reference to uh, President Kennedy's uh, pronouncements in 1961 that that uh, we will go to the moon by the end of the decade. Don't know exactly how. Uh, we we don't necessarily have the technology, uh, but we're going to do it and committed to it. This this 2035 commitment for a, a net zero electricity grid is starting to sound very much like that. We we may not know exactly what the technologies are between now and 2035, but um, you know if there's a commitment, then we you know we need to we need to be moving on with it. It, it, increasingly in these conversations, we, we keep coming back to storage and long duration storage. Um, so do you, do you have a sense from, you know, from the work that, that you're doing and the people that you talk to, how far away we are from, from seeing, uh, you know, long duration storage that, that's actually going to be, you know, economically viable and that is actually going to be able to support our system? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I believe we're going to see that this decade, uh, and well before uh, the end of the decade, I would say, you know, okay. mid uh, mid to late uh, decade. There's a there's a lot of work and effort uh, going into it. Um, the the challenge is it's difficult to be first. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, 
you know, uh, quite a number of these technologies look very promising, but, uh, you know, um, how do you, how do you um, get enough confidence in the technology to scale it up right. uh, to the level that we need to uh, in this period of time? But I'm, I think we're right on the verge of it uh, with, uh, you know, a number of these technologies. And uh, I think uh, it'll be clearer, certainly by the end of the decade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this sounds like, uh, you know, given, given some of the, the contracts that, that you've signed, uh, you, know, you know, you mentioned Amazon, um, that this is increasingly what the customer is looking for. By 2035, presumably, you know, the grid will be a net zero grid. But between now and then, it sounds like this is um, something that you are able to use as a differentiator um, when when you're looking at bilateral contracts. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing this is something that there's a, a great deal of interest in when you're talking to a commercial and industrial customers, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. So, um, you know, the uh, old way of thinking about electricity is uh, we just want cheap electricity and we don't care how, where it comes from. Yeah. Uh, at, yeah. at least and it's pretty much, uh, and, and, you know, in some parts of our country, we were blessed with hydro, some places nuclear, different, but at the end of the day, it was just cheap electricity. But I think, uh, I think that's no longer the case. Obviously, we need to continue uh, to uh, have a focus on cost. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, clean electricity, emissions-free electricity, renewables is really um, what uh, what more and more uh, companies and customers are looking for. You know, there's uh, the RE100, which is, uh, you know, uh, a number of the world's largest companies that have all committed to sourcing 100% of their energy uh, from renewables, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by the middle of this decade. Uh, now companies going even farther and saying they want to be um, you know, um, emissions-free on a seven by 24 basis. Right. And companies taking even further and saying they want to be net zero from inception of, uh, of their, of their company. So there's, there's just this tremendous amount of, uh, of interest uh, from corporates uh, to, you know, to green their operations. And uh, I'll give you a very, uh, you know, uh, direct example. So uh, Amazon just announced uh, the largest uh, technology investment in Alberta's history, uh, they're setting up their second uh, their second uh, hub um, tech tech hub in Canada in Calgary, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to it's generate multi billion dollars of investment. But uh, you know, in announcing that investment, they said one of the reasons uh, one of the big reasons they made that investment is because of the abundance of renewable energy in Alberta. Yeah. So right. uh, renewable energy is becoming the new Alberta advantage. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that's a very uh, different look for uh, oil country. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Yeah, that is that yeah. is quite a change. Yeah. What's your view uh, about small modular reactors? Do you, do you think do you think that there there will be playing a role uh, in the future? Uh, you know, I know there's a, there's a, there's a lot of uh, attention being put in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, certainly here, uh, the technical arguments that are being made for, you know, why SMRs, small modular reactors are much safer than, you know, the large scale alternatives, uh, recognize that we're sitting on tremendous uranium deposits uh, right. in Canada, particularly in Saskatchewan. So there's, uh, you know, there's all reasons why we want to see that happen. Right. But uh, I think it is a real uh, uphill battle 
you see, you know, other places all uh, around the world, you know, rushing to get off nuclear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, personally, personally, it's not uh, something that I'm bullish on. Hey, Dan, what about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and 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 crypto mining? That that is a a, a pretty a significant growing load that we're seeing in, in, in different areas on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, we're seeing, you know, for example, countries like China are, are, have banned uh, Bitcoin mining in their jurisdiction. But I mean, this is a pretty significant load. I'm, 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 I'm guessing the, I mean, there was an interest to, to, to serve this load so long as it's with renewable sources. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, cryptocurrency, the whole, whole topic uh, in and out of itself. Uh, personally, I believe it's a durable trend. I don't think this is a fad. I think, yeah. uh, you know, the blockchain and cryptocurrencies are, are going to be uh, in the, um, you know, economic landscape uh, permanently. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, historically, the challenge is, um, you know, they, they just need cheap power. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if, if the coin is, uh, you know, mined with dirty electrons or clean electrons. Mm-hmm. The value is all the same. I know there's uh, some uh, movement towards that amongst, and I'm, and I'm getting uh, now a little bit out of my depth. I'm not a, yeah, yeah. I'm certainly not a crypto expert, but you yeah. know, talking about um, you know branches of currencies that uh, will be certified as green, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, I think that's the future. I, I mean, uh, I think cryptocurrency with you know brown or dirty power. Not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, cryptocurrency fueled by renewables, great. I think it, you know, it uh, is a is a trend in the world and uh, growing another source of electricity. If it comes from green sources, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. How how bullish are you, Dan? When you know we we, we mentioned Canada's net zero 2050 uh, target. We talked a little bit about the the net zero grid 2035. How bullish are you that uh, you know we're we're actually going to hit those targets? Well, you're talking to somebody that uh, successfully developed a 700 megawatt uh, solar project in Alberta in the hard oil country, uh-huh. where uh, where uh, supposedly we're frozen <laughs> all the time, uh, uh, which is clearly not the case. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm I'm optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm definitely on the optimistic side of of this uh, of this issue. I think uh, the technologies. Are there and are just, and the ones that aren't are just on the verge of being there. Um, I, I think our um, younger generation is putting much more importance uh, on this issue, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so some of the um, societal inertia is being cleared away. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm optimistic. I think we can get there. And it sounds like while the technology development is going to be. Yeah, you know, global uh, in terms of where where it'll be developed and where it'll be sourced. From what you're saying, the solutions are are at least in Canada are going to be likely provincial specific, federal government establishing um, you know national standards, and then and then the the actual uh, framework policy frameworks are going to have to be developed in I guess ten different provinces and three different territories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of collaboration that needs to be done. Yeah. I think the federal government has a very important role to play mm-hmm. uh, to create incentives for the for the provinces to, uh, you know, to uh, jump on board. Right. Um, 
you know, because at the end of the day, power is a provincial jurisdiction, not a federal, you know, jurisdiction. But, you know, there are levers that the federal government uh, uh, can pull. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I'm, uh, I'm from Alberta, right? And uh, like I said, I grew up in the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. My late father was an oil and gas entrepreneur. I started my career in the oil and gas industry. But, um, you know, I really care about uh, the future of our province. And uh, I think we have historically been laggards uh, on this issue, yeah. but I'm starting to see that really change uh, very quickly. And, uh, you know, if we can see attitudes change like that quickly in Alberta, that, you know, that makes me very optimistic of what's possible. Yeah. Dan, I, 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 I do want to ask you the same question I ask everybody else that comes on the podcast, and that's about a book. I always ask folks that come on the podcast the book that they would recommend uh, to uh, to the listener, either a book that you know you've uh, you're reading or you've recently read that you think the the listener of the podcast uh, should crack the spine of. So, for you, what book would that be? Well, um, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk. Uh, okay. Elon Musk's uh, latest uh, biography, I think, is is great. Um, uh, I think it is. Uh, Great from a, I think it really shows what's possible with vision and what's possible with, uh, you know, tremendous entrepreneurial uh, conviction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and um, it's possible for, uh, you know, massive disruption to happen through the sheer force of will. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, recommend that book for, for that reason. Spectacular. Dan, thank you very much for taking the time to, to jump on the podcast. It was a, it was an interesting, interesting chat. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks Francis. Really enjoyed uh, chatting with you this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the flux capacitor tune in for episode 050, which will feature a conversation with Bryce Conrad, the CEO of hydro Ottawa, and for future podcasts in the Net Zero 2050 series. And as always, let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.